Smith and Jones back again for another week. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. And it's a gorgeous day, and we've got lots to talk about. Lots to talk about when it comes to the National Basketball Association and the NBA postseason, as it's actually a quiet start to the weekend, but it's going to continue like gangbusters later in the weekend with two games, sevens coming up between Milwaukee and Boston, Dallas and Phoenix, uh, but with the East... Um, settled on one front, the West settled on the other front as the Warriors advance, knocking out the Memphis Grizzlies and the Miami Heat beating the Philadelphia 76ers and Joel Embiid airplaning all his way down to Cancun or wherever he may go, Jonesy. But Embiid and the Sixers are out. And I want to hit you with this right off the bat. And I'm going to ask Alvin Williams about this when he joins us later on in the show as well. Bobby Marks from ESPN and Tim Roy the radio voice of the Warriors. We can get into lots with both of those gentlemen as well. But from a former player's perspective, I want to know what Alvin thinks. And, Jonesy, you've been doing this a hell of a long time. We've been doing it together a long time. Where do you land on the decision, question, argument, conversation between do we want athletes, coaches to be – robots and give cliched answers or do we want them to be honest and give truly from the heart and sometimes not necessarily from the brain answers to questions and the reason I bring that up is how much of you respects and appreciates Joel Embiid's honesty after losing in game six how much of you says man he should have just bit his tongue kept his mouth shut and not said a word because the more he spoke to me the more he threw himself his management, his organization, his coach, his teammates, almost everybody under the bus. Um, if you're trying to get better, you need to hold people accountable, in, in, including yourself and others around you. And I'm going to point no further than up the road to the Boston Celtics. They got a game seven going tomorrow. Uh, and I, this is something I want to talk to Alvin about, too. Um, you know, Milwaukee's going to have to try to close it out on the road because they blew a chance last night. Boston had that mentality and went in and won in Milwaukee last night. Dallas needs to try and close it out on the road. Like these, these are, and, and, and I guess where I'm going is, I point to the example about the accountability and, you know, throwing people under the bus. Wasn't it Marcus Smart that said earlier in the year, hey, man, and people were talking about breaking up Tatum and Brown. He's like, hey, man, we don't need to break these guys up. They just need to pass the ball. They just, they just need to trust us and play better as a team. We need to play as a team more. And he caught, he caught some smoke for it, remember? He, he caught mm-hmm. some smoke for that. But right now they got game seven at home. And, and, you know, on the last day of the season when everybody was tanking in Milwaukee, you know, took a knee on that last game and Boston won and people said, why would you win? And, you know, try to, and now you got to get to get Brooklyn in the first round. They're like, no, if we're going to beat Milwaukee, we want game seven just in case. But to your original point, no, I think I want people to be honest. I, I want them to be honest. And, and sometimes they try to be and have us reading between the lines, but okay. You talked about Joel Embiid. What did Doc Rivers do when he came out and said, Miami's better. They're better. Right? Doc Rivers came out and said that. They're a better team than we are. And, and you know, some people might have seen, oh, that's self-serving. He's trying to save himself or whatever. But 
if you ask me, Miami was better. They were a better team. And they didn't even have Kyle Lowry playing all the time regularly. And so what, what heat is Doc taking for that? But I'm, I'm, to, your, to your point, hey, man, give me the goods. I may not like them. Um, you know, at times, if I'm any kind of a competitor, it'll motivate me. You know, I've been in different situations where coaches have said at a different level, are you going to stop that guy or are you going to let him get 60 tonight? Like, <laughs> you know, that, that, that should motivate you as a competitor. And for the people that, that see it as, you know, as you said, that one side that see it as, well, they're throwing people under the bus. No, he's not. He's being, he's being honest and, and, and candid and forthright with what we need to do better. Good players want to be coached. High achievers want to know what it takes to get to that point. And sometimes if it's harsh, they'll deal with it. I, I don't disagree with any of what you just said. I guess for me, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm going to be guilty here of, of sitting on the fence. Or, or maybe not sitting on the fence, but playing both sides. I'm going over to that grass, but I'm coming back to my grass. Because... I appreciate the honesty from any athlete. Like even even uh, after the uh, Warriors victory, you see Draymond Green going at Kendrick Perkins in post game comments and whatever. I like stuff like that. I like seeing athletes and coaches and people in general just having personalities. I guess where I'm where I'm drawing a bit of a line, Jonesy, where I'm where as I say I'm kind of dipping the toe on both sides, is that when you've got a player like Joel Embiid, fabulous talent. MVP caliber, we can talk about that too with Jokic officially getting the MVP. Um, but for him to come out and say James Harden isn't the same player that he was in Houston, on one hand, he's right, and most of us see that. On the other hand, I don't know that that's your responsibility or your duty as a teammate, as a player to say that. If that was coming from Doc Rivers, if that was coming from the organization, from the front office... I don't know that I'd have a problem with it, but from a teammate, from a fellow player, I don't know if it's up to you, pro or con, to talk about what a guy can or can't do, especially in post-game comments like that after the game. So that's where I was surprised that he said it, even though what he said ultimately wasn't necessarily wrong. And then from the organization standpoint, I'd be looking at it going, hold on a second. You were the one that said that you wanted this done as well. You wanted to play alongside James Harden. We, you know bent over backwards and grabbed the stars and the moon and the sun and everything to pay 50 plus million dollars for this guy and might have to lock him up into a contract extension in the offseason we were already pretty damn good without ben simmons because of you and because of what we had and then we made a move to add to this to put us on a championship quest and we ultimately bowed out but is that on you is that on me organization is that on james harden is that, like we all kind of share in this and i thought Embiid was sort of deflecting quite a bit and then I say, well, then if you're going to yeah. deflect, it ultimately comes back to you. You were the MVP candidate. You were one of the ones that was running roughshod over the league all season. You were the one that kept the team afloat even before James Harden got there. But you know what? You're also the one that we've invested a lot in, in terms of the process. We're approaching, we're past now, if I'm not mistaken, three quarters of a decade in the process. And you haven't even been to a conference finals, let alone an NBA Finals, or won a championship. So at what point are we looking at you then, process? We're talking seven-plus years now. Yeah, and, and it, 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 I could see where people would see it as that, deflecting. Um, uh, I, and I'd have to go back and listen to what he said 
regarding himself and what kind of accountability he was taking. Uh, but, um, you know, sometimes it can be as simple as, look, we all need, we all need to get better. You know, uh, we all need to get better and not particularly breaking it down and naming names, but just saying, Hey man, we need to get better. Players need to get better. Uh, coaches need to get better. The organization needs to get better. Everybody has something to do in us improving if we're going to reach our ultimate goal and leave it at that. And that might be enough as, as you would say, a call out of everybody, including himself uh, and not, but, but I like the honesty, but not, yeah, you yeah. know, naming, naming names, but uh, you know, I, I, I agree with you though. And I, I'm, I'm good with the, I'm good with the, um, I'm good with the honesty as you put it. E. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm fully acknowledging and playing on both sides because I don't want to hear, you know, we'll be better next year, we played our – like, I don't want the cliches. I like honesty, but I think you still have to be a little bit PC sometimes with that honesty. A guy that would know all about that, he's been on the other side of being asked the questions, and now he's often asking the questions himself. Long-time NBA, long-time Raptor, Raptors broadcaster, Sportsnet color analyst, and, of course, friend of the show, Mr. Regular on the show, Alvin Williams. Al, Man, good to he have is you on the again. show. He, he, yeah, he, he is. is. He is the show. He's in it's, the show. It's Smith and Jones and Williams. Yeah. <laughs> I, need, I need more than 10 minutes, Coach. You gotta play. If you want me to play, man, I got to oh. get in there. I, gotta, I need more than 10 minutes. It's all <laughs> about touches. I'm ready. It's all about touches, right, E? Is that good? Call a play for me, right? Call a play for me. <laughs> so, Al, I don't know how much of what we were just discussing you heard, but um, I, I want to ask you off the bat before we even get into any X's and O's. What was it like for you, either personally, but also then looking at some of your teammates, some of whom were very outspoken, some of whom were a little bit tight-lipped and a little quieter? Where do you land on how much is too much to give to writers, broadcasters, the media in general? How do you weigh as a player what you are or aren't going to say, how honest you are going to be? And I'm, of course, talking about Joel Embiid and how candid he was, maybe to a fault, in throwing some folks under the bus with some of his post-game comments when Philadelphia ultimately bowed out a few nights ago. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, it, of course, it depends what the topics are. I think it depends on the timing of things. You know, some things are being, some things are said, and you know, to to motivate, to to get things going. Some things are said out of frustration, and you want to take it back at times. So I think at the end of the day, you got to know who you're dealing with, especially when you're talking to an audience. And if it's for if it's for the better, especially in professional sports, you're dealing with grown men. If it's not damaging and if it's not hurting the environment or hurting your team and preventing them from moving forward in any way. Then I think it depends. It depends on on who's saying it. You know, if, if it's Joel Embiid, they want to hear him, you know, state his opinion, and they want it. He's been through a lot. He's been through the process. He's been through different coaches. He's been through, you know, all of the things. So I think he has the leeway, and I think he has the the capabilities of speaking candidly. I think he can call people out. But when you do that, you got to be ready to be called out, and you have to be ready to call yourself out. And that it starts there. And then you can go down the line. But once again, it depends on what the information is and who you're speaking to and you're talking about the media. But it just all depends on where it's coming from and, and, and the intention behind it. Yeah, Al, I, I, great point. I'm, Eric asked me, are you okay with 
um, you know, the honesty or do we speak in cliches and, and kind of uh, code and, and clandestine messages? No, I'm okay with it because, Al, you're a competitor and, and you know, and if, you know, if a coach says to you, Williams, you can stop that guy, you're going to let him get 60 and be on his highlight reel. That, that's firing mm-hmm. you up, right? That's firing you yeah, up. Yeah. So um, I, I agree with the honesty. But as you said, Joel's got to be willing to willing to, to, to take some back. And I don't, I don't know where the, the, this Philly organization is at right now uh, with James Harden. He's got a $47 million opt-in next year. There's going to be talk of an expense extension. Do you trade him? Um, once he opts in to try and get better. But then again, you had Ben Simmons, and that wasn't working. So I, I'm not sure where this team goes, Al. Just your thoughts on that in general. Yeah, it, it's tough. It's tough when you when you put a lot into one person or a couple people and figuring out the direction. Now now you start hearing things about the coach. You start When you, when you start hearing things so much about Doc Rivers and the criticism that he's facing – and which I think is unfair. I think it's unfair when, when the coach gets all of the blame or a lot of the blame at certain times of the season. But, you know, I think that's going to be a key. That's going to be a key discussion about where do you go from the leadership side? And then it goes down to James Harden. And then more importantly, you got to make sure the big fella is happy. I think you got, you make, you, you, you know, that's your MVP. That's your best player. That's the guy that people will want to come and play for or not want to play with. So it's just one of those things where as an organization, you have to figure those things out. For me, it's looking like I'm watching James Harden play game seven and or game six. And it's like he wasn't himself. And we've seen this from James Harden, right, in Houston, when he wasn't happy with the direction of the team or the coaches. You know, he, he didn't show up. And in Brooklyn, when he wasn't as happy as he's saying, he decided upon himself not to be the James Harden that we're looking at him to be. And it looked like that again in that closeout game where James Harden was just disinterested. And you wonder what internally happened to make that team come out and play the way they played and for him to play the way he played in the closing of that game. Something was off. And a lot of times when things like that happen, that's something internal, whether it's in that locker room Something else may be personal with him, but I would like to lean upon, lean on with something in that locker room that ticked him off or made him feel a way where he couldn't play the way or he didn't want to play the way that he needed to play in that game. You know, Al, it's interesting. We're speaking, of course, with Alvin Williams. Uh, at the beginning of the season, you, you correct me if I'm wrong on this, beginning of the season, I think a lot of people were saying uh, Milwaukee-Miami probably battling it out for number one in the East. Where did the Celtics land in that? Philadelphia should be pretty good. We didn't know that the, the Cavaliers would start off as hot as they did, or the Chicago Bulls for that matter. Where might the Raptors land in all of this? Uh, you know, Atlanta, might they be due for a jump? And they slid and they were struggling all season. But we thought that Brooklyn might be there. And, of course, they weren't because of the issues that they had. But I'm, I, the reason I'm asking this long-winded question here, the dust is about to settle on Game 7 between the Celtics and, and Milwaukee. And there's already one team waiting in the conference finals, Miami. So at least three, if not four, of the top teams we thought we would be here are still here. So if you're Philly, if you're Toronto, if you're Cleveland, Chicago, if you're Brooklyn, how do you start looking at what do we need to do to be better next year and is internal improvement enough or do we need to tweak, overhaul, 
what do we need to do? Because, again, rewind eight months ago, the teams that we thought would be here are pretty much here, and the teams that we didn't think would be here are pretty much done. Yeah, I mean, I think it always you have to you have to evaluate yourself from within, you know, know what you have, see what you have, and see what that projection looks like, and then what's actually out there that can improve your team, short term or long term, whatever the goal is for that team. You know, all the time the outside or the person that you may think is the most attractive that can get there, get to your team, it may not always be the best fit. So there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle that you have to put your mind, wrap your mind around. I think if you're a Brooklyn Nets, right, they have the most decisions to make because that dynamic just has not worked. And you saw Sean Mark's interview this week, this past week, about, you know, you saw his frustration. And when it comes down to really saying our best players, you know, it's uncertainty about, about where we want to go with our best players. That's always the struggle. So, you know, they have some internal checking to do that they have to figure out. If you talk about a team like the Raptors, you have young players and people from the outside would say they overachieved this year. And I think internally you, you have to keep working with that because everything, you know, you've seen in the past, Toronto has to make, you know, transactions to get that big name or someone there, you know, via trade to have to improve a team because the Raptors have done such a great job of the drafting and developing and putting the team together in the core. So, but it depends, like you said, it depends internally how much better can you get? And I believe, truly believe people underrate that, you know, you're always looking for the quick fix, the home run, who you can bring in from free agency or what's the number one pick on to be. But I think internally we underestimate players getting better, their goals, their path. And I think if I'm a team, I'm always leaning on that and seeing who I have and who has that mentality to get better as an individual or who want to give their all to the team. Interesting, Al. We're talking about improvement. I want to get to what's going on now. We got two best words in sports, Game 7. Uh, got five of them in the NHL. Got a, got a couple in the NBA. Um, closeout mentality on the road. And you were in the first Raptors closeout game and hit the big shot in the first Raptors closeout game on the road. Uh, man, Milwaukee was terrific the other night in Boston, and then Boston comes back and does the same thing to them. What what's your what's a team's mentality needed? What what is needed to to win? A, I mean, hey, Milwaukee won Game Seven on the road last year. What what's what's needed to do that? Man, you have to be conditioned for those moments, right? You and and not just saying like cardio wise, mentally. Emotionally, you have to be conditioned for the ups and downs. You have to be ready for the for the the bad streaks of the game, and you can't get too high when things are going well. So you just really have to be even killed. You have to be conditioned for those moments because guess what? Everybody knows the plays. Everyone knows what you're doing. Everyone is ready, and it's going to be a grinded out game. Is nothing is going to be easy. Now, if it, it ends up being a blowout. That's just something that's just, you know, out of control, but out of your control. But you just have to be ready. You have to be locked in. But more importantly, you really have to be emotionally fair and psychologically you have to be strong. You got to make sure you do all of the things. And I heard you say it a few times before, Jones, even in the past through our discussion. It's not always about the X's and O's and strategies. It's about yeah. doing what you do and do it better. And, you know, and that and that's the biggest thing. So, I think when it comes down to that game seven, you mentioned it's, it's, it's the best time because you already know what's going to happen. 
you know how it's going to go down, and you just don't know what the outcome is going to be. But you know, everybody remember. I just remember the the Knicks series, and I just remember Dan Gundy calling out our plays before we even got into our sets, and he could tell you each and every where everyone's going to go, and it's just like wow. This is this is different basketball. And then by the time game five happened, it was just like who was going to exert their will and who was going to overcome any challenge that was going to happen in that game. So you just got to be ready emotionally who, and psychologically mostly. Who you like tomorrow, Al? I like Boston. I like I like Boston. I think, you know, for these games, if, if Milwaukee could have got, got out of there before game seven without a Chris Middleton, I think that, that's a, that would have been a huge feat. But I, I believe that a shorthanded Milwaukee – in Game Seven, I don't think you can get much more from uh, a, a Giannis, and I don't know how much more you can get from a, from the rest of the role guys. Drew Holiday is great, of course, but I think Boston—they're home, and their players are, are picking it up. You see it, so I just believe a shorthanded Milwaukee without a Chris Middleton is going to be tough to overcome a Boston team in, in a Game Seven. All right, Al, last one for you then. Whether it's Boston or Milwaukee, do you think that either one of those? two teams would be the favorite against the Heat in the conference finals, especially if Kyle continues to be hampered, or do you think Miami's got a shot against either one of those clubs? I think Miami has a shot against any of those because they play hard, of course, and all everyone's going to play hard, so that may not just be the best answer, but, you know, Jimmy Butler's playing at a high level, and, and Milwaukee's been the best, I mean, Miami's been the best team all year, and it's not by accident. You know, if we take back, and I'm just a firm believer I don't know if you guys ever remember saying, like, Brooklyn did not scare me, right? Because they haven't been a team. They've been who they've been all year. And it's very it's very rare in basketball when you have a team that, that plays a certain way all year and then they surprise you at this time of the season. If they are who they are, and I think Miami's a team who they are, they've been that. But it is a, definitely a challenge because Boston has been probably the best team in the NBA in the second half of the season. So if Boston wins, I believe Boston really does have a very, very good chance of making it to the finals. And then, again, with basketball, they have paid their dues. You know, we've been expecting a lot from Boston over the years, and they've been coming up short. But, you know, it takes time, and it's a process that we've seen. And I think this could be the year for the Boston Celtics to finally Mm. crack it and get to the NBA Finals. Mm. Uh, Al, uh, shot clock's running down. I need a quick answer. Dallas or Phoenix, Game 7? Phoenix Suns. Hmm. All right. All right. I'm, All I'm right. with you on that one. I'm with you on that one. All Even right. though I'm praying for Jalen Brunson, but Phoenix Suns. Hey, he's he, he's going to be fine either way. He's going to be fine either way. Yeah, He'll be he, a rich man in a couple months. Yeah, he, real rich. <laughs> Definitely. Real rich. <laughs> Definitely. Al, yeah. appreciate the time as always. We'll talk again next week, if not before. All the best, man. Thanks, Al. All right. Have a good one, guys. There is former Toronto Raptor, longtime NBA, and of course Raptors television analyst Alvin Williams. We shift our gears from uh, Alvin and talking a lot about the East. We, hey, we can get into East as well, but we'll talk more so West and the game that went down last night, the series that is now done and done with and over. The Golden State Warriors, lo and behold, are back in the Western Conference Finals getting set for their opponent, Dallas, Phoenix. Who might it be? But bringing us uh, on the line right now is the radio voice of the Golden State Warriors, Tim Roy. Tim, thanks for the time today. Oh, always for you guys. How you guys doing? All good, Tim. All good, man. Yeah, Tim, it was uh, it was a wild one uh, last night, and it's been kind of a wild series. Or I guess, well, I shouldn't say it's been. It was. It's over now. So I have to speak in past tense. Um, 
Certainly it helped that John ja Morant wasn't around for the last uh, couple of ball games. But that said, the Grizzlies continued to play hard, continued to push the Warriors. But in the end, fourth quarter, I got to think that the experience factor played a huge role in ultimately closing out and winning the series last night. Yeah, it, it played a role in the entire series. And, and you know, the interesting, interesting thing about no John ja Morant was that and when, with that combined with the uh, reemergence of Steven Adams off the COVID list, that all of a sudden they had their best defensive team on the floor at all times. So yeah. it was it was re- uh, it was really different. And so it took the Warriors a game or so to figure that out. And you know they had to make the Grizzlies pay for playing big. And and so last night you saw Kevon Looney and, and Wiggins and Draymond Green attack inside and, and not just, you know, move the ball outside. They saw Steven Adams, and, and that I thought was a big key. But, yeah, the experience factor was there. The Grizzlies are uh, a team that, you know, is, is on the rise, and as I said, they're going to be a pain for everybody of the next few years if they keep that crew together um, because they're long, they're young, they're athletic, they've got shooters, they've got defensive guys. So, that's a really, really good team, and the Warriors are fortunate to beat them. And you know, I was listening to your conversation with Alvin, and isn't it interesting, as you look at the teams that are left, it's none of these teams that made all the headlines in the offseason. Oh, this guy signed here, or they got, they got traded for this guy, and oh, they've got this you know, dream team. And you, know, you mentioned about how Brooklyn not being a team. The teams that are left are true teams, and most yeah. of them, you know, most of the parts are homegrown. Yeah. Uh, Tim, uh, you know, I got a uh, supersized flashback last night watching the game because the Chase Center sounded like Roracle. It, it sounded like the old days back at across the bay, one. And then two, to your point about the lineup, the ball movement, the, the inside stuff was terrific. Kevon Looney was terrific. But it made me think, is this what the Warriors would have been like had they kept Clay and Steph together with Monte Ellis being played in the role of Jordan Poole. Like, I, 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 just, I just looked at that and I thought, this is, this is if, he didn't, if he didn't pop off Monte Ellis, and, and I mean, he's, he's a little longer, uh, probably a little more athletic, um, a little more maybe with the team concept, but what Jordan Poole is doing uh, just enhances everything with, with, you know, Clay returning and Steph, and the way Draymond plays, I thought, man, this might have been what it was like had Monte Ellis decided to get with the program. Yeah, you know, and, and the the only thing I would say about that, yeah, he would have had to say, yes, I'll come off the bench. Yes, I'll do this and do that. And at that stage of his life, he wasn't ready to do that. He thought he had paid all his dues. And he had, really, in, in, in the sense of being with the Warriors. And Steph was always going to defer to Monte because Steph's just such a nice guy. He's, he's going to do that. So they had to move Monte in order to let Steph grow, get Clay into the starting lineup, and, you know, move forward. And, of course, you know, re- really, if you look at their early success, adding Andrew Bogut was a big key. But, yes. Uh, but, yeah, it's an interesting prospect. And, yeah, there is a lot of, of Monte in Jordan Poole, and he's, he's got that explosive first step. And when he's decisive, you know, when he starts, you know, yo-yoing the dribble a little bit on the outside and trying to, you know, instead of moving the ball, that's when he bogs down. But when he's decisive and he gets to the rim, he is something else. And uh, the other part about Jordan is he's a reminder to us all that we have to let a lot of these young kids grow in the league. 
He was not that player his rookie year. He was far from that. And he got in the gym. He's a gym rat, and he's worked on his game. So I think there are really some great times ahead for that kid. Speaking with Tim Roy, radio voice of the Golden State Warriors, Golden State through to the Western Conference Finals, and we're waiting to find out who their opponent might be. Game 7, Dallas and Phoenix coming up on Sunday. Tim, I, this, this is a question I can ask you because I know I'm not going to get a straight answer necessarily from an athlete, from a player, if I ask them. Do you think there's a better opponent for Golden State in terms of Phoenix versus Dallas? Is there one that you would prefer to see one versus the other? Well, you know, Phoenix is is battle-tested, and they showed that this year. But Dallas has been a real matchup problem for the Warriors. They, they've, they've had some success against Dallas, but then there are other nights where they can't handle Luka, and all of a sudden they're down 20. Uh, mm. So I, I'm I'm curious to see they've had they've had decent success this year against Phoenix. They played them early now. They played three games by Christmas Day. They had played the the Suns three times. So they played them early. They haven't seen them a lot in the second half of the year. But but they had success against Phoenix this year, and, and they were figuring out how to play against DeAndre Ayton, who was a big problem for them early on when they were going small. That would be a concern, but but Dallas has always been a little bit of a weird matchup for the Warriors, and and in fact, you know, Memphis is, is another one. It's a bad matchup for them, but uh, you know, I I I think they in a, I think they don't care who they're going to play, but to, in my mind, Dallas is a more I think questionable matchup for them. Tim, last thing for me, um, you talk about young players growing in the vein of Jordan Poole. How about our guy Andrew Wiggins in terms of his growth? He was huge oh. last night too. Huge. I'm telling you, I'm so happy for him because people are seeing his worth. People are seeing just how good he is. You know, they brought him in. The first thing they started working with him as soon as he arrived from Minnesota was, okay, we're going to make you into a, a better defender. You've got all the tools to do this. And they showed him, and they believed in him. And, and now, wait, look at him. He's, he's guarding a point guard. He's got Tyus Jones, three-quarter court, guarding him all last night. You know, they go small. They tell him, hey, sorry, but you're going to have to go in there and battle the big guys. What does he do? He goes in there. He's not getting a rebound. He's tipping the ball away. Uh, he's battling inside. He wasn't shooting well. But, man, he was huge last night. And really, really happy for him. Maybe, you know, this is a spot where, you know, he's allowed to flourish. He's, the, the spotlight's not on him because it's always on, you know, we have a, you know, a power forward that seems to talk a little bit. And then, you know, we got <laughs> Steph and Clay. So, uh, so you know the uh, the spotlight's not glaring on on Andrew, and I think it's allowed him to grow as a player. And I'm really, really happy for him. He was really, really good last night, and he was really good in this series. Hey Tim, we appreciate the time today, uh, especially after a, a big game last night. Uh, rest up the pipes and uh, enjoy the run. And for your sake and for the teams, uh, I would love to see him get back to a championship again. So uh, fingers crossed for you. All the best. Thanks, Tim. And I appreciate that. And, and as a son of New England, I have to say go Bruins. But I really, if the Bruins aren't going to get there, I'd really like to see the Leafs get the cup. <laughs> yeah, no, everybody seems to be keeping their mouth shut today. Everybody's just like, you know, yeah. so anxious today and nervous. Nobody wants to talk about it. So. Yeah. Well, well what, a, what a weekend for sports fans. Well, how many Game 7s are there in all the sports? Five. Seven. Five seven. seven, maybe? Well, yeah, five oh. in hockey oh. and, two in, yeah, wow. and two in basketball. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Wow. What a great weekend. Yep. All right. All right, All right Tim. Thanks, Tim. There is Tim Roy, radio voice of the Golden State Warriors. Yes, indeed, a sports nirvana. And you know what? 
I know I know Rogers owns the team and we've got the game. I'm not saying don't watch, don't listen, but honestly, forget about baseball this weekend. You got five game sevens in the <laughs> NHL and two in the NBA. Seven game sevens this weekend. It is wall-to-wall drama and madness. It is going to be awesome. And, Jonesy, we will continue to talk about it after the break when we are joined by Bobby Marks from ESPN. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you, getting set for a couple of Game 7s on Sunday. Always lots to talk about around the rest of the league as well. Beyond just uh, the game action, plenty to dive into with ESPN uh, NBA front office insider Bobby Marks. Bobby, thanks for the time as always. Hey, guys. How are you? Good, Bobby, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you right out of the gate. Get you to put your uh, your your GM hat on. Um, Philly and Brooklyn both out now. They were the ones of the biggest trade, maybe the biggest trade that went down this season, um, and both of them look to be in shambles right now. Put your GM hat on and g- give me give me the fix, either short term or long term, in both in both cities. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think if you probably look long-term, probably, I guess, Brooklyn is in better shape um, based on, you know, Durant, Irving, and if you, we assume that Ben Simmons makes a recovery, right? I mean, that's, you know, you've got those three guys where, you know, in Philly, your concern is the, the regression of James Harden. I mean, in, in what, you're, what you're about to maybe commit to him long-term when you have, you know, certainly Joel Embiid, um, and, you know, Tobias Harris, and now if you lock up um, Harden, that's kind of your, your, your big three here. And there, there's not much, you know, there's not much else besides, you know, Tyrese Maxey as far as how you're going to get better here. So, I, I mean, I think for, for Brooklyn, it's, you know, certainly health um, and, you know, basically in how much ownership is willing to spend in, in free agency with return, bringing back your own, your own players here. So, I mean, Philly is, you know, Philly is just an – it's interesting because, like, you can go with, you know, Harden playing out the year on a $47 million contract if he opts in. I, I wouldn't entertain extending him off that number. Or you try to work out a deal that maybe you lower that number significantly and he's back on a $28, 29000000 million, and it gives you a little bit more flexibility to kind of add in the uh, in the offseason. But it's going to take Philly and Harden to kind of compromise to, to reach a deal here. Bobby, I acknowledge that you probably don't know this answer, but I'm just asking maybe for your your best guess. D- does anybody really know right now what James Harden wants? Like, <laughs> like where 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 his passion level is at, where his interest level is at? Does does anybody have the answer to that? Well, I don't know if James Harden realizes that he's not the player that he was in Houston, or if he's not the player even in Brooklyn last year. I mean, it's, it feels like it's always about blaming somebody else, right? As far as putting him in the right situation, and you know, he had that comment after the game where you know I didn't have the ball in my hands. Well, I mean, he did. You know, I mean, he ran basically ran ran point guard here, and you know, when you when you face kind of when you're faced with a kind of a, a decline in where your career is, it's a it's a it's a, a tough realization here so he doesn't have many options guys i mean like if he i mean he's he's going to be back to philly on at least on a one-year deal he's he's, to him for him to opt out there's no marketplace for him in free agency i mean the reality is there's indiana san antonio orlando detroit portland those are your five five or six teams that have cap space and i don't see any of those teams spending even 25 to 30 million dollars on james harden so you know, this was basically kind of the last option for him to try to make it work. And, um, you know, we'll see, you know, what type of shape he returns next year. And 
um, you know, how much patience does Joel Embiid have? You know, I mean, Embiid has been pretty pretty upfront as far as you know realizing that that's this is not the um, the Harden that we you know that was in um, you know that in Houston that he's basically kind of a you know prolific passer and not a scorer anymore. Yeah. I mean, Eric and I started the show talking about this. Joel's words, are they, I mean, they're truthful, but the purpose behind them, is that to hold people accountable? Is that to, I mean, you can't just wind back the hands of time and get the old James Harden back. So, and and I'm sure Joel's expressing a little bit of frustration, those sentiments, but but what is there to do? Like, does, does do the two of them need to get together and try to figure something out as two of the leaders of the team? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, I mean, you're the two highest paid players, and it, for this to work, you know, um, you know, I, I know, you know, what you're going to get with Embiid. I mean, I'm not concerned with him. I mean, a big thing for him is he's just got to stay healthy, right? I mean, we haven't, you know, besides, I guess, the Toronto series, um, you know, you know, the uh, Miami series, you know, he just, you know, he, he was on, he wasn't on the court for those uh, first two games, and kind of played a little bit of a shell of himself here. So, I mean, Embiid is interesting just because, you know, like I felt like there was a lot of buyer's remorse in the, um, in the press conference after the game. I mean, if he wanted, if he wanted to rewind uh, time, he wanted Jimmy Butler back. Um, and he was, you know, some passive aggressive comments regarding Dal Morey as far as, you know, with uh, Seth Curry and Andre Drummond, two guys that are not here anymore. So, it's it just, you know, if, if this doesn't work out, I mean, when it's, you know, as you guys know, like it's just a matter of time for Embiid to kind of walk into there and maybe next year or the year after and say, like, you know what? Philadelphia is not the right place for me, and, um, you know, I want to look for a new home. We're not at that point yet now, but you basically the six, where the Sixers are, it's like I equate them as like a, an ATM machine. Basically, they're running out of funds to kind of change the, the, the pieces of the roster just based on how much they've given up in draft picks. And now you're top heavy with three players that are making, you know, 110, $115 million. Speaking with Bobby Marks, ESPN front office insider. Bobby, it's easy for guys like me and maybe Jonesy. Jonesy, I'm sorry I'm bringing you under the bus with me to, to sort of wax poetic and say, oh, it's, it's easy. You've been there. You know it's not easy. Oh, yeah. Um, to try and do what you're saying, to, to spend the money and to know when to spend it and to know how to spend it on those draft picks and on those players that are that are assets on your team to make trades and whatnot. I've got to assume that I'm going to steal a, a line or, or an idea that, that Tim Roy had in our last segment, the radio voice of the Warriors. He was making the point, Bobby, that you know the Heat might be a bit of an exception. They've got some pieces that are homegrown. But Milwaukee, Milwaukee, excuse yeah. me, obviously the biggest piece homegrown in, in, in Giannis and Boston with Tatum and Brown. And, and you look at even the Warriors now sitting and waiting in the conference finals. Look at uh, Phoenix with Booker if they ultimately make their way through or Dallas with Don, uh, Luka Doncic. Like, if you're Joel Embiid, does that enter your mind where you look and go, all right, I got to share a piece of this blame pie as well. But we're now over three quarters of a decade here where I've waded through the process and we've gone with certain different players and we've made certain trades, like maybe does he come to that realization sooner than later that Philly isn't the right place? Yeah, I mean, I think you look at it and, and say, you know, maybe we don't need to have, you know, a, a second all-star or a third all-star around me. You know, you look at what, what Miami's been able to do, and I know you have Bam and Jimmy and, and Kyle's been out, but like he's probably thinking, like, why couldn't we go get Gabe Vincent or Max Struss or, you know, some of these other guys, you know, P.J. Tucker role players here that really fit. I mean, it's not always about getting that 35 to the $40 million player, and it, and it takes a lot of patience. I mean, you see it in Dallas with um, with Luka. I mean, they're, they're, 
they're trying to pull off something that you know Toronto did three years ago, where you have yeah. that main, you know, that 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 marquee franchise player and a supporting, a strong, a really strong supporting cast that fits. I mean, that you guys know how hard that is. I mean, that's not the norm here. And and even Memphis with the, the Grizzlies, like when do you get a point, you know, where maybe one of those players that you know got, you know, that we saw last night has to be moved to, you know take that next step here so it's hard i mean it requires patience and i think yeah the shortcuts are going out and getting that second and third star but then it puts a lot of pressure on the front office to kind of find those you know eight or nine complimentary players bobby and and look we're in a market in toronto where you know people the fans complain here oh we don't get free agents i mean when you look at the nba free agents don't go to a lot of places they, yeah. they go to a handful like no free agents go to denver or milwaukee or you know, San Antonio or Charlotte, free agents go to like minimal places. So I, we've always said this here, especially in Toronto, where we are fighting some other stuff too. You have to build a team uh, at which point, uh, you know, my, my question is how important does your internal organic development become? I mean, Marcus Smart chirped up early in the season about Tatum and Brown and people are saying, well, maybe they should be separated. No, right now they got game seven in their back pocket at home. <laughs> And it's and it's the organic internal development that's helped. Oh, it's huge! It's huge. I mean, you look at Brooklyn. Brooklyn's basically going to have to go through the same situation that they did last year in free agency because of how much they've spent, and they're going to have to sign eight guys that a veteran minimum exception. And you keep on turning over and turning over, and then you know you look at what happened, and you know I think five out of the eight guys never even finished the ro- on the roster at the end of the year. So it it it's the internal development, drafting well. Um, finding those under the radar type players. Uh, I mean, that's what saves, you know, that's what saves franchises and, and builds, um, you know, longevity. When Kyle Lowry can't play in Miami, you've got guys that can kind of step in and, and, you know, that they've developed either in Sioux Falls or, you know, throughout the course of, uh, throughout the course of the season. Speaking with Bobby Marks, Bobby, is there a team right now? Obviously, I'll clearly have to include, uh, you know, Miami and, and Golden State sitting waiting for their opponents. But of the games of the team, excuse me, that are remaining in those game sevens coming up tomorrow, is there a team that right now you say is more of a favorite than another one that you're leaning on, or is this thing still kind of wide open in your eyes? Well, I mean, Phoenix at home is you know tough, but I mean, I, I mean. You know them on the road though have not have not been good. You know I know they won that game six in New Orleans here, but it seems like they're such a different team. I think I think I would lean a little bit towards Boston. I mean if Boston defensively played like they did last night against Milwaukee and, and Tatum and Brown, um, you know Tatum is, is you know shows that he is the best player on the court, and we'll see what happens with Robert Williams here. Um, it's a, it's an extremely tough out. I, I would be surprised if they lose in a game seven against Milwaukee. I mean, Giannis basically has to have an epic performance. I mean, basically what he did last night, and I don't even know if that would even be good enough because I don't think their supporting cast is is good enough without Middleton. And you have to have you know Holiday is certainly you know a really good player, but I would probably tra- trend a little bit towards um, Boston right now, but. If Phoenix gets through, they'll be they'll probably be the favorite against Golden State. I thought Golden State was a little bit inconsistent in the in that Memphis series. I thought we saw the last six minutes last night of the old Golden State team when they really kind of turned it on here. But they've got to get through Luca. I mean, Luca in a game seven, it's not going to be easy at all. Uh, wow. So to to me, Bobby, I, I guess I look at it. Um, I mean, I th- I think. 
seeding's probably going to play out. I think you're going to get one, two in the east, and and or one, three in the east, and probably you know you know one, one, two, and one, two uh, in the east, and one, three in the west. I mean, I, I look at I look at the teams that are left, and you talk about Phoenix. Is Golden State actually a better matchup for them than Dallas? I think so. I, I do. I think, you know, Dallas, is tough. I mean, like, you know, we gave Utah a lot of criticism. Dallas is tough, man. <laughs> like, when you basically have, you, know, you spread the floor, you don't play really with a big, and you've got Luka, you know, you basically trying to, you got to pick your poison. Do you want Luka to go for 40, or you want your role players to, you know, hit 16 threes? Um, and, you, and you basically spread the floor. And I think with Phoenix, it just it gives them a little bit of a harder time. I think, um, you know, a, a Phoenix-Golden State matchup, because – Phoenix can go small if they need to. They can, you know, I mean, I think Aiton can guard, you know, Draymond and if Draymond, you know, takes them off, you know, you know, stretches the floor a little bit here and they've got the guards to, to you know, contain Curry and, and, um, and Thompson and, you know, and, and Wiggins and, and, and everything. So I think it probably would be a little bit of a better matchup than what they are uh, experiencing right now with the Mavericks. Hey, Bobby, we appreciate the time. As always, thanks for joining us, and uh, I'm sure we'll be bugging you at some point down the road. All the best. Thank you, Bobby. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Yep, thanks. There is Bobby Marks, ESPN front office insider, former league executive as well. Uh, e. Smith. And always appreciate his time. Yes, sir. Uh, I got one for you. All right. Are you okay with Jokic being the MVP? Yes. You are? Yeah, I know you're not. <laughs> I, I, no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Uh, no, but I, I but I know you're not. I can tell. I can I, tell. I'm not. I'm not in a sense that I think people have leaned too much on numbers and oh, look at what he's doing, and he hasn't been passed the second round. I know it's a regular season award, but when your MVP is on the bench for defensive purposes at the end of the game, uh, I, that's that's not a two way player that is the most valuable player. I, I, I mean, great numbers superior talent, maybe the most out. And I'm on the NBA competition committee alert. alert e. I'm on the NBA. We need a most outstanding player. The same way we have a most, de- uh, you know, a defensive player of the year. We need an offensive player of the year and the MVP. I might've made Jokic my most outstanding offensive player for his numbers and the way he plays offense. Uh, but yeah, Still, my guy at both ends that 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 is the MVP. Just just my comment. Listen, I, I, everything you're saying is 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 factual, Jonesy, and 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 I can't argue with any of it. Um, I just think that based on what Denver did this season without pretty much everybody outside of Jokic, like not having Jamal Murray, not having Michael Porter. I mean, I, I think a lot of people thought that Denver was going to be down and out. Um, okay. Okay. So here's my question for you then. Okay. If Jamal Murray and MPJ are there yep. and they finish third instead of sixth and Jokic has not quite the numbers he has now, does yep. he still get a look as the MVP? I, st- I think he gets a look, but I don't know that he wins. Right. I think, right. I think, be- I think because of what he did, it, again, this is like the age old sports radio argument, right? Is it best player or is it most valuable? I think he was the most valuable to his team based on, with due respect to the other Nuggets that had fabulous seasons, if you took him off that team, there's no oh, they're chance they're sixth. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're, they're easily lottery. lottery. Yeah. Now, yeah. could you make the same argument for Joel Embiid in Philadelphia and what he did 
without Ben Simmons. Yeah, but I still think that Philly had some good talent uh, even without Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Uh, even before but the Philly won. trade. Philly did win. Philly did win. But I think they had more talent. So when, when like, I think even without Simmons, Embiid had more to work with pre-Harden and post-Harden. So like, here's what bothers me if we want to bring history and if it's even fair to bring this into the argument. Jokic, as good as he is, as great as he is, is a back-to-back MVP winner. How many MVP awards did Shaquille O'Neal win in his career? Right. Yeah. One. Jokic has more than Shaq. He's got yeah. more than Kobe. Like, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't fly with me. Yeah, doesn't fly I hear you. with me. Yeah. And, Who you and, got and, tomorrow? And, just to be different, and because you know I hate them, I'm not going with the Celtics. So I'm taking the Bucks and I'm taking the Suns. I, I, I would like to see the Bucks and the Suns advance as well. Yeah. All right. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones, folks, wherever you get your podcast. Download, rate, review, share, all that good stuff. We'll post links on Twitter and Instagram as well. Thanks to Alvin Williams, Tim Roy, and Bobby Marks. Thanks to Austin Mackey for putting together the show as well. For Paul Jones, I'm Eric Smith. Thanks for tuning in to Smith & Jones.